Welcome to Jason and the Movie Knots. I'm Jason Sachs. And I'm Keith Silva. And we are discussing the films of Olivier Assayas today, uh, focusing on Irma Vep and uh, Summer Hours. But we'll probably also talk about Cold Water, Clouds of Sils Maria, a Personal Shopper, and maybe some others. So um, there will be likely spoilers for these films because I have a big question about the... Uh, <laughs> the clouds of Sils Maria, especially. Oh, okay. Uh, so, well, let's start with Keith. Why did you suggest we talk about SAS? Uh, I think uh, SAS is one of the most interesting directors. I caught on to his movies with uh, Irma Vep or Irma Wep, if you want to be French about it. Mm-hmm. Um, probably about, I don't know, 10 years ago now. And it was just such an interesting movie in the in, uh, interesting really doesn't, you know, it's a poor choice of words because it's far beyond just plain old interesting. Um, it's an excellent movie. It's like three or four movies in one, which is what we always seem to talk about, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I was really, really into uh, Irma Vep and I thought it was great. And I thought, oh, I got to see more movies by this guy. And uh, I watched, I think, Summer Hours, and then I bought Carlos. I've only watched half of Carlos. Um, and it was just one of these things where, yeah, this, this, this guy is inventive. He's got a sense of humor. And he is also, he's got that French intellectual elitism. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also is making a movie. You know, there's images, there's ideas, there's you know, there's, it's, it's a film in all the senses of, you know, that we talk about when we talk about film. Um, all his movies seem to possess that. And he's got, you know, a real style, which is, I almost think of it as a no style style. Um, because he can do so many things within just one movie. I mean, there's nothing that SIS, I think, couldn't do. Um, you know, he can make an action movie, he can make a a small intimate picture he can make a relationship movie it's really you know he's 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 an excellent director he's excellent at his craft plain and simple he's obviously seen more of his films than i have i've only seen the five we discussed plus the first couple episodes of irma Beth on hbo oh, i haven't watched that yet how uh, is it i think you would like it very much oh i'm sure i would he's involved are, in it so there yeah i think he is like the primary the primary creator behind yeah. it um, there's a there's a lot of resonances because it's a nine hour uh, show or ten hour show. Obviously, um, right. there's a lot more depth that goes into around the characters. Um, there's a change also in a female lead, yep. which is um, also a very interesting uh, different take on it. Um, but the nicer what what I really like is it it also kind of keys off of the original the vampire more than the film does. Okay. Um, so I'm curious to hear you talk about um, the diversity of his styles because. Uh, I think from the films I've watched, and again, my my spectrum is a little smaller, uh, Irma Vep stands out as being a different style of film. Um, all four of the other films I've watched by him are much more contemplative, mm-hmm. a little slower, mm-hmm. um, perhaps even more grounded in reality in different ways, although mm-hmm. maybe that's not actually true, uh, but more earthy, I guess, is a way of putting it. Okay. And Irma Vep is uh, so differently imaginative. 
particularly the ending, which I adore, as you've heard me say now three times. Yeah, yeah, we really, I, 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 that was my question for you, which is tell me about the ending because I, I, you were just so effervescent about it and you're like, oh my God. And I was kind of like, okay, well, tell me what you're thinking. <laughs> but we, we can get to that. We have time. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, we won't uh, start with the ending. Well, I want to, uh, so to let me turn my comment into a question, Keith. Yeah. Uh, among his other movies, Demon Lover, Nonfiction, Boarding Gate, um, are there are there movies that are more kind of action oriented? That you were implying that earlier. Uh, yeah, I think Carlos is definitely uh, it's a it's a nonfiction biography, I guess, of Carlos the Jackal, the terrorist, and he restages his most grand um, hijacking, which is you know you know, it, it, it takes an awful lot of uh, coordination and teamwork and timing to hijack an airplane mm -hmm. and film it and, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, Carlos is definitely one. It's like six hours long. So um, they broke it up over two films. It's on Criterion. Um, okay. And they broke it up over like, there's two sections of it. There's a first section. I think it was like a made for TV movie even. Okay. But anyhow, long story short, uh, I've watched Carlos and, you know, that has scenes that are slow moving, that are procedural, you know, where they're getting the, 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 the scheme and the plans for the hijacking together. And then, you know, building the team and all those things that uh, are so fun in movies. And then, you know, there's, there's, there's the hijacking and sort of what happens there. Again, uh, it came out post 9-11, so maybe a little hard to watch and sort of make it lighthearted and of lighthearted and fun hijacking, mm -hmm. but nonetheless, and I would agree with you. Yeah. Especially uh, clouds of sills, Maria and personal shopper in a lot of ways are very uh, heady are very, you know, intellectual clouds more so than personal shopper. I think personal shopper has a lot more uh, attitude and a lot more style if that's possible. But I guess that's the other thing about SAS is that, you're watching it, you're seeing, like you can see a style. This is the way this guy does stuff. And even though he's a chameleon and can kind of do anything and everything with film and express his ideas in filmic ways, um, you know, Irma Vep is a really good ex example of what he is. It's like, it's like a perfect distillation of his, of his style. Cause there's things in Irma Vep that are funny, that are humorous, that don't always come out in, in his movies, in his films. And did you say he did Boarding Gate? Yes, he did. Okay, that's one I forgot. That's one that's on the shelf. And I wondered, why do I have this? And uh, that's, an action, <laughs> that's an action movie. Boarding Gate and Demon Lover are much more action movies, mm -hmm. much more almost B-movie action movies. So um, again, Chameleon, he can do anything. Okay. Okay, and I think part of what was so magical about Irma Vep in particular to me, and I keep coming back to that because I, I just, you're right, I, I still continue to enthuse about the pleasure <laughs> I got from it, was that it has these chameleon-like elements. It's like, yeah. in some ways, it's all of his pieces all kind of mm -hmm. rolled into one. Exactly. And very kind of short, uh, seemingly short segments that really kind of all add up to these larger themes that he comes yep. back to. Like he's got a big passion for uh, film as a as an art form, yes. and his his eternal mocking of superhero movies. Yep, um, that comes up over and over again. Yep, and um, Irma Vep deliberately plays with that 
in really creative ways. Uh, first of all, you know, our lead character is uh, the star of a Hong Kong action film. She right. has that interview partway through the film with the uh, film <laughs> fan who's like, well, why, why don't we make more people, more action movies? Right. You know, Schwarzenegger is high art. We shouldn't be making movie for these pretentious eggheads who only want to- Elitists. The elitists, right? Yes. And then, and then, you know, he turns around and he's making films like Sils Maria, which is an elitist film, right? <laughs> or Summer Hours, which is even more of an elitist film. Yeah, yeah. All about elitism and museums <laughs> and money and everything else. Yeah. Yeah, which I'm sure is part of why you chose to, to talk about those two together. Yeah, right? that, that one I've got. I think I rewatching Summer Hours, I was kind of like, oh, I wonder if this is hitting close to home to, for my friend Jason Sachs. A lot of stuff, not that you're an elitist, but a lot of stuff in there about <laughs> collecting and yeah. the importance of stuff and why we hold on to stuff and what it means. Um, but yeah, we, we're, 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 again, getting ahead of ourselves. Um, the but one thing also has this kind of feeling of a slap, not slap shot, but uh, also has the, the, uh, the thing Asayas loves, which is it's improvisation inside a lot of scenes. Mm -hmm. It feels very fresh. It feels like it's it's alive in some in a lot of ways. Yeah. And yeah. also has this interesting illusion of being like full of real quick sh uh, scenes that are quick cuts one to the next, but they're actually generally long cuts where it just stages so much inside a scene that everything kind of um, it feels like it's short, but he's actually keeping the camera on these characters for a long time. Yeah, I think it's it's something that um, we recently as a family watched that new movie that came out on Apple Plus, Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Mm -hmm. And my burgeoning uh, art house nerd daughter um, said, you know, I didn't really like it. She said, it really didn't have much to say. And I was like... <laughs> okay all of 18 years old go on she's like i don't know it just wasn't it just didn't have a point of view and i was like okay to go with that and i think one of the things that she was getting at and you know something that you can see with asayas is you know it sounds so stupid to say but these are films these are movies he mm -hmm. has a point of view and he is trying to say something about this and there's all sorts of you know, branches that go off from it. I mean, the fact that you essentially cast, you know, Jean, uh, you cast Antoine Duenel as your actor from Truffaut's 400 Blows and the Antoine Duenel series right. as, as your director says, you know, that informs how a lot of people are going to watch it. I mean, essentially, you know, there's an element of Irma Vep that is Truffaut's Day for Night, a movie about making movies, mm -hmm. you know, and this movie is a movie about making movies. It's also, so there's, so in that sense of it, there's also a sort of commentary and you touched on it already about what are films today. Um, he's casting these well-known French uh, actors in both movies, uh, Edith Scobe and um, Summer Hours, who is in uh, Eyes Without a Face. She's the Eyes Without a Face. Um, and also, um, I always get his name messed up, so I better, I better look it up because uh, I just want to call him by his character. Um, Jean-Pierre, that's it. Jean-Pierre Lenard as, as the director. And, you know, obviously, this is the guy who, you know, made his, his career was made with Truffaut. So I'm sure he's channeling a lot of, you know, the essential 
the essence of French cinema, accessible sure. French cinema sure. in right. uh, Truffaut. So um, also he was in Day for Night, I believe, yes. Um, so anyhow, you know, long story short, just a lot of a lot of elements in this movie that come in, but still it's very enjoyable. It's very um, accessible. It's very easy to watch. It doesn't hurt that a beautiful woman is in a skin tight bodysuit uh, throughout most of it. I mean, that's definitely, you know, like I said, doesn't hurt. Um, yeah, Maggie Chung playing a woman Maggie, named Maggie Chung, which I yeah. think is just this great kind of recursive kind of thing right, to it. Herself. She's so charismatic, mm. naturally charismatic. She's the one I want to see a lot more of. Yeah, yep. And they were married for a time, so. Oh, and of course, she's the star of all the Wong Kar Wai films. So, you know, obviously, just a brilliant actress. Yep, yep. Yeah, just, uh, you know, again, this movie, I think that Irma Vep, I'm not surprised it was turned into a TV show or a TV series because, again, the accessibility, the idea is solid. You know, you could stretch this out. It's been one of my obsessions lately thinking about uh, could this movie have been a TV show? Mm -hmm. And with so much really good TV on right now and a lot of my energy going towards watching these shows and less movies i start thinking about oh could you have made manhattan into a tv show could you have made um uh broadway danny rose into a tv show i've been watching uh uh woody allen movies lately so um so yeah so those are definitely some ideas and this one no surprise that uh that that it made it it, it made it that way it's adaptable to that but it still has something to say again about movies, about film, about all that. Yeah, I think Irma, the movie is a meditation on what it means to make a movie. I love the day for night comparison too, because it has that slight unreality that the Truffaut film has also. Mm -hmm. Everything just yep. feels a little bit off. Um, yep. It is The film is definitely compressed, right? It's just such an intensely fast hundred minutes. And, you know, it, it, it's such a natural candidate to be expanded out for all kinds of reasons. Right. Um, you know, like the budget issues, for example, get really short shrift in the movie. <laughs> like, but you know, it's the first thing we see is the guy grumbling about the budget. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, you you know, and I'm swimming against the tide because I'm the guy watching movies instead of TV shows. And I often <laughs> think about like the incredible compression you get in a film. You know, yeah. you get 90 minutes to 120 minutes of just the the best the the most intensive right to the, tell your story yeah 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 it's, can it's, you do it it's the poetry versus prose argument you know mm -hmm. and um i found that to be fascinating with irma vep and so to get to your point earlier um i think one of the reasons i like the ending so much of this film is because so much happens during the movie and you have to be paying attention all the time because like a great TV show, there's six or eight different plots all happening at the same time. You know, there's a romance, there's a financial side, there's a director having his nervous breakdown. There's this weird stuff with the fetishism um, of the costumes and stuff. There's, you know, um, all kinds of pieces in there. And when, um, when we get to the ending, essentially, right, we've just changed directors, the new director's taking on. Right. And we're like, well, what happened to the director? Did he go crazy? He's, he's, he may have been sent to a, an asylum or he may have been sent to just some place out in the country to relax. And we see his actual nervous breakdown there on the screen. 
mm. with, with these great surrealistic images, which I guess were just suggested. Um, Asseus had picked up on them from a friend who had been doing some experimental video art. Mm. So he was just intrigued by having the movie end in that way. But to me, like we're seeing an actual breakdown on screen with this incredible visual inventiveness. Right, uh, because I, I think, sorry to interrupt, but I think the other thing that you're seeing is that what the movie's been talking about the whole time is, you know, that interview, that sort of, uh, the interview between the journalist and Maggie Chung, uh, you know, that informs so much of the movie that has so much to say. And essentially it's fighting against this idea that, oh, this guy's claiming that this director is stuck in the past and he can't move forward. But then when you see what he puts together at the end, it's like beyond cinema. It's, it's gone to a totally new, different place that, you know, combines everything. And in a lot of ways foreshadows the next, this movie came out in 96. So it foreshadows what's going on in the nineties with special effects and everything, but it sort of, you know, jumps ahead with, you know, what we are experiencing now in the 2000s, especially the last 10 years where everything is a remake. Cause the other thing mm -hmm. about Irma Vep is right. It's a remake of this 1925 silent French classic that they don't really know what to do with either. You know, he's like, well, I don't want to do a reboot or a remake. And he's like, yeah, but I have something to say about it. I don't know what, but I have something to say. Uh -huh. That's the other reason I love this movie is because it sort of foreshadows what we're living in now where everything is a reboot. Everything is an IP. Everything is a remake. No reason to go back. No reason to have new ideas, right? When you can just go back and remake something that you already know is a hit and you're, you know, or, stockholders or mine, old like that. Or yep. mine, whatever intellectual properties you find. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Uh, you're, well, you hit, you hit on an, another reason why I love this ending because it, it, in the surrealistic imagery, we're both looking back and looking forward. Yeah. So, right, it's all based on Lev Ampere from 1916, uh, which was on acetate uh, film, which would burn up, which has these specific characteristics of warping that we see little special effects of yep. at the end section, yep. right? So we see this distortion and the distortion is like playing with the original vision of what we see, right? Mm -hmm. And in fact, the that, that last segment starts, it's all in black and white. Right. We see unmaskings and we see specific echoes of the original Live Vampire, yep. but also more modern, the, the flaws and the, the uh, quirks of the modern take on it. So as the scene goes on, we see modern special effects with, you know, the eyes, the circles floating around as we're looking right. at them. The and animation. Eyes, the animations, exactly, right? And this is like anticipating CGI. Yep. So you can imagine like a 2022 version of this, which we may yep. see in the movie or the TV show, rather. Yep. I'm kind of looking forward and I, you know, this is like a Marvel style thing. At the same time, it's looking backwards, right? And we're seeing the distortion of the film. We're seeing the scratchy of the scratchiness yep. of the film. And then beyond that, like there's parts where it's like the film is scratched out, right? As if the critic had gotten to it and said, no, this is no good. Or right, I'm right. bored here. I'm going to play here, right? It's got yep. this kind of childish, uh, almost like... Uh, graffitiizing of, of the film. Absolutely. Um, so you're left with this kind of, this is the beauty of cinema to me. You're left with this kind of weirdly three-dimensional vision that gives you this abstract impression of what, uh, of all the ways that you can see this world. It, the possibility. The possibility, yeah. 
it's kind of a cubist take on, on uh, the conclusion of a film mm. where you're seeing all the different angles that could be there and it's left to you to make sense of what you're seeing. Yep. And so I found it startling. I, this, I just watched it earlier today again and I, I found it startling the second time just how and quickly that happens and how it just, it felt so satisfying as a resolution. Right. It feels satisfied, even though it's unexplained, unexpected. I mean, they roll that film. And it, again, is that essence of, of movies, of cinema, of you go in, you know, hopefully spoiler free. I've been having a debate with my friends about spoilers and everyone's different, you know, uh, how much they can take and how much they can't take. And, you know, that's what you get. You sit down in that screening room and all of a sudden you're seeing something totally different than what you expected. It's not explained to you at all. It just is, it's on the screen and you take what you take away from it. And it's a hell of a way to end a movie to leave it that open because it answers no questions. It asks more questions than it answers if it answers questions at all. And it's also got this, and it's also very satisfying somehow in its yeah. openness. Yeah. yeah. By the way, on, on your friend's continuum, I am all the way, I don't know what if it's right or left. I don't want to know anything about a movie before I see it. I don't want to know oh, who's okay. in it. I don't want to know if it's sci-fi or romance or whatever. I'm on the uh, other end. This is where I'm. This is this is the argument that we're fighting about right now. Is I don't see the point of you know. I, I understand you know not wanting to be spoiled, and I understand your point of view. But I have a friend who takes it to the extreme that. He doesn't even want to know the actors or the characters' names in the movie because he wants to discover it on his own. And again, I understand that. That is not how I, I don't need, I don't need to have that much not told to me and to discover it on my own. I don't feel the movie's ruined that I know what it's about because I think we live in a perpetual spoiler, not a spoiler culture, but when you're constantly talking about remakes and reboots, does it really you know, does it really matter that, you know, you're going to, you're going to go into the next Marvel movie, you're going to go see Love and Thunder, or whatever it's called. And does it matter that you already know Jane Foster is a female Thor? Oh, Keith, now. <laughs> no, it's different between different types of movies, though. Okay, so, so, so that's okay. So you're okay with the Marvel sort of interconnectedness so, and knowing everything. I didn't see Doctor Strange. So when I tune into Doctor Strange on Wednesday when it's on Disney, yep. I know a fair amount about the movie. You're right. You already know much. You know much of the story, but you haven't seen it for yourself yet. Right. Well, and, you know, honestly, you know, it's Benedict Cumberbatch throwing spells running around with the, with the Scarlet Witch and other folks. And it's going to be fine. It's going to be entertaining for what it is. Um, but like... The pleasure in those is like the execution, not the 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 energy of it. Okay. Um, and I'm gonna against I'm gonna again say there's spoilers in this episode. But I think <laughs> about um, when I think about the Kristen Stewart character in Personal Shopper and in Sils Maria. Mm -hmm. I think I enjoy those movies much more, not knowing anything about who she is and what she's struggling with. Um, and again, like. Uh, not knowing what happens to her at the end of Sils Maria. Right. But I think that's, that's a different. So it's a different type of film. Right. It's saying. a different type of film. It's a different experience. 
had you gone into, did you know going into Personal Shopper that Kristen Stewart was in it? Yeah, I, I'd seen that okay. because I, and I, I was actually intrigued by that because I'd seen, I watched Little Maria first. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, they were great together. I want to see another film with the two of them yeah, together. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah. Um, but so that's, that's a good point. Uh, do I need, does it spoil a movie if I know who the actor is? No, but it does for my friend. Okay. It does, that, that, that's where he's at on his spoiler continuum. Okay. Yep. And, and, and again, I'm respectful of that, but also I don't understand it and I don't agree with it, but you know, it's an agree to disagree situation. Yeah. Okay. But like, as soon as you start watching the movie, yeah, I guess it's more like, okay, here, here's another analogy. Have you watched something wild? The Jonathan Demi film? No. Okay. I'll but just say- I know it's Jonathan Demi. I know Ray Liotta's in it. Um, you know, I'll just say this. That scene may be the ultimate for this, where uh, I didn't want to say anything about it other than there's something that happens halfway through that completely transforms the movie. Okay. And like some people would be like, I didn't want to know that much. Yeah, that would be where my because, friend stands. Because I think the genius of the film is comes from the complete surprise about mm-hmm. how this movie changes. Mm-hmm. Um it doesn't take away from it to know about it. Right. But um, I don't know. I guess in a way I'm arguing for innocence. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, and again, I, that that's where, that's where part of this conversation begins is, you know, that sense, that childlike innocence of going into the movie theater in 1977 to see a movie that's about space and, you know, stars and wars and then coming out sort of transformed by the experience. I think that's yeah. all well and good, but I also think, you know, I've, I've grown since then and I can know who the actors are in the movie. I can even know the plot. I can even know it as a cinematic uh, vegetable that I'm supposed to eat because it's this great experience and I've never seen, you know, Annie Hall or Manhattan and be like, yeah, it's a Woody Allen movie and, you know, this, that, or the other thing happens. And even though I know the basic plot outlines, would Psycho lose its power if you knew, you know, the 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 giveaway in that one? You know, I actually just watched Psycho the other day. I know day. you did. That's why I asked. <laughs> would it would it lose its power? Um, yeah. I don't think that movie can lose its power. In my I think opinion. I think the the people who saw it in 1960 who were genuinely shocked by it um, had a very different experience than we have. Yeah. Yep. Um, and the film was made, that film in particular was made so that you think you're seeing one movie right. and then you get to the shower scene and everything you thought you were going to see is completely upset. So then the, the audience is lost. Right. The audience is completely bereft. We have, you have no idea then as a 1960 film goer, what's going to happen next. And that happens so rarely in life. We have yeah. no idea what's going to happen next. Yep. Even though that um, is life. <laughs> sure, right. But I mean, your daughter's smart. She graduated high school. She's going to go to a good college. You know, she probably will have a good career and do well for herself. Right. There's no surprise there. There's a surprise inside there, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But, like, but I, think, I, okay. I think there is, I think in spoiler culture, there exists this idea that you're always trying to get back to the garden. You're always trying to get back to that innocent, 
walk in 1960 this is the new alfred hitchcock movie and oh my god why did they just kill the main character spoilers for psycho (laughs) (laughs) well okay so this is a perfect transition uh and again last chance for spoilers so i'm watching sils maria and Julia Binoche and Kristen Stewart are wandering through the uh, Alpine mountains. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Kristen Stewart is gone. And I, like, was profoundly confused yeah. and lost and had one of these moments that I love, which is like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm so in the moment. I'm like, seriously, like, like, I don't know. I I this film has completely upset me now. I have no idea what's going to happen next. Kristen Stewart's left for personal shopper. She's, she's got yeah, right now. She's got, she's on her way to California shopper. for, really and, and even more for that movie. Like there's a beautiful scene of the snake coming through the Valley, right? The yep, clouds, yep, and the, the clouds, the Valley. Yep. Um, and I wouldn't want someone to say, you're going to see this beautiful image in this movie because mm-hmm. I like to have that surprise come to me. Yeah. Uh, so like if someone had said, there's a, you got to watch this because this this Kristen Stewart disappears two thirds of the way through the movie, and there's no explanation <laughs> of why. Can you help me figure this out? I'd have a completely different explanation, uh, like understanding of the movie. Yeah, and it probably would have distracted from the great interplay between uh, Benoche and Stewart, and then the yeah. the Chloe Grace uh, Moretz, Moretz character comes in towards the end, yep. um, and this wonderful uh, kind of generational drama between them, and this really kind of interesting uh, like subtext around are Kristen Stewart and Julia Pinesh a couple are they just does she just work for her what is what is the relationship they have Um, which like also gave spice to because my whole mind would be on what about this one thing here (laughs) yeah 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 and and again it's you know spoilers for uh, Clouds of Sils Maria different than spoilers for Doctor Strange different than spoilers for Jurassic Park yeah, that's uh, that's know, my that's my point exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I think it, again, if you are, if you are just you don't want to know anything about anything, then I guess you have to take yourself totally out of the discourse. But I feel like you know, there's certain things that you can avoid on purpose, and then there's other things that just you know, I I, I can't imagine you're that brittle that you know knowing you know. Kristen Stewart, who the actors are in the movie or whatever. My, my big team. This is a real thing for you. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is an issue. This is like tearing up our movie group right now about, you know, knowing certain things just totally ruins it for you. Then, you know, I'm out. I can't, I can't, I can't abide that. I can't go that far. That's not for me. That's not me. I'd rather know everything and then let me still see it and make up my own mind about it. I mean, to use Kristen Stewart as the analogy, like, you know, I didn't care if the Twilight movies were spoiled for me. I knew how that was going to end. <laughs> right, right. But like, I don't want to have, I don't want the last line of Personal Shopper ruin, to, to ruin the movie. Like, I want to, I wanted to be surprised by that. Yeah. There's yeah. a genuine moment of like, oh, interesting. This kind of changes how I think about the movie in some ways. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I think this is the other thing about Irma Vep that I really love is it gets you talking about movies. It gets you talking about, you know, how movies are made, how they're structured, what they mean. It's it, it just, it gets those juices flowing. And I think it's just, it's one of those rare movies that I don't really think you can categorize it because it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a couple different things. 
Um, and, and again, those sometimes make the best, the best films and certainly the best films to talk about. So I don't think it has a three act structure either. I don't know, unless you call that last scene in the screening room uh, uh, an act. <laughs> it's just kind of all kind of thrown together in, in this very interesting way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a total, it's a total mess, it's a total jumble, but somehow it all makes sense. Yeah, that's an interesting, that, now I got myself thinking about that. Does it say excuse three-act structure? Cold Water kind of doesn't either. I haven't seen Cold Water. Um, okay. So, it, it, you know, there's a beginning and there's a middle and an end you know ostensibly you know the movie starts the movie ends there's something happens in between um but i don't necessarily know that he's uh, that he's uh hold he holds to that i think he can he's much more interested in these ideas and following these ideas through to whatever conclusion he comes he comes up with mm-hmm. again i think part of the conclusion that he comes up with in irma vep is trying to take something from the past give it a a present a feeling of being fresh and present but also projecting into the future of what this could become for the next generation that 100 years down the line that's going to say time to remake Irma Vep or 20 years down the line um, when HBO comes calling with a big you know right brinks truck of money so well, that's definitely a thematic connection between Irma Vep and Summer Hours. And yeah. so Maria, too, is this generational, what happens to the next generation as they reinterpret the art? Yeah, and I think that's the other thing that, that ACS is really after is, you know, a very, you know, a cla- in, in the, with the best directors an understanding of what has come before and then taking elements of that, putting it through your own filter and then projecting it out literally in a film to show what you have to say about all these different all these different pieces because I, I think the other thing too um, with the the other thing about Irma Vep is and this is something that came to me in this viewing is it's very much a movie about the process in creation it's about work that everything in Irma Vep is about work and doing work. There's constant work that is being done, either physical labor of hauling cables and C-stands and all sorts of stuff around a movie set and doing the work of the financing. It's the first open, the opening scene is in that office. It's a, it's a movie about work and showing you how much work a movie is, how, what it takes to make a movie, even more so than, um, Oh gosh, why am I blanking? Our pal Robert Altman, the player. I mean, the mm-hmm. player doesn't show the work of the movie. It's behind the scenes and you see all the executives and things like that. But Irma Vep is on the ground in place. People are moving stuff. They're putting on costumes. They're yeah. physically this is, a, this is a job. Yeah, it it's a job. It's like work. It really is like an industrial job in, in a lot of ways, right? And, you know, they're they're talking about getting uh, the actress's schedule all lined up, too, because her other film had run late. So, you know, we've been waiting for you. We need to get you going. Got to get your costume going. Like, everyone's feeling this pressure, pressure, pressure. They could have used a good scrum master. Yeah, well, that's what the the project manager was doing. (laughs) The African-American guy with the glasses. I I totally saw myself as that guy. I thought so. I projected myself as him. Yeah. The people in summer hours, uh, 
have the opposite problem. They have jobs. There are, there's allusions to them all having jobs, yep. but uh, they never seem to feel that much pressure about any of this, any of the stuff they have to deal with. No, Summer Hours is, I think, you know, again, a movie that's about relationships. Not a lot happens. It's the, uh, it's the ultimate elitist. You know, it's about an elite class of people trying to sell artwork. You know, mm-hmm. you can't get much more elitist than that. Um, there is work being done, but it's certainly not, it's a different kind of work. It's not the, the making of something, but it's the dismantling of something, which is kind of interesting. Um, and, and dismantling mentally, physically, spiritually on all sorts of levels, which is another part of it that's just, um, you know, summer hours just feels very breezy and just sort of goes past and you're like, what was that about? You know, but then it, you start thinking about it more and you're like, oh, and, and I think summer hours resonates at different times in one's life. I think it's I would summer. feel different about summer hours uh, if I had to deal with an estate when my time comes. It reminds me, unfortunately, of taking care of my parents. Estate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. Well, and it, it, it really, I, I found it to be such a sad film. Mm-hmm. Melancholy. It, melancholy, Yeah because so much of it is about the connections we make family later on with friends and how ephemeral they are. Yep. All the things we accumulate over time, get mined for money that the traditions we want to pass on are not practical, aren't useful, don't fit the way the world is moving into, you know, he can't uh, the, the grandmother or the mother rather can't leave anything to her kids because One's in the U.S., one's in China, the other one is just too busy, you know, and it just becomes this kind of burden for them to deal with Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, on top of all the other problems they have in their life, like your daughter smoking pot, (laughs) not your daughter smoking pot, but the daughter smoking pot. Yeah. And, um, you know, her life of crime. We're both collectors, Keith. And I'm like, this is like, this brings up this sad thought that, you know, one day my kids will be mining my my all the junk I have surrounding me for yeah. What's this worth? What can we get for this? Where do yeah, we sell this? That's what I was thinking about as I was watching this. Is sort of, you know, what do you so all the stuff that you acquire in life, and for someone who, you know, I, I I don't I I actually do not like the word collector because for me a collector I think completist like you have to have all the issues of you know, whatever weirdo comic or, you know, whatever it is, you have to have all of the, you know, bits and pieces of whatever it is that you fancy. Yeah. Why is your life complete? Because you have every issue of amazing Spider-Man, you know? Yeah. Right. But more, I was even going to go even further than that. Why you have every issue of Ewoks, Uh (laughs) you know, something very, very specific, something very, you know, uh, whatever. And then what happens when you do get to a certain age and stage and what is everyone going to do with your Ewoks comics? You know, this thing that you spent hours and hours obsessing over collecting, making sure you got every single one. And then when they chunk you in the ground, you know, that collection goes off God knows where it's either gets, you know, uh, disassembled and sold for scrap or given away or whatever. And what did that mean? You know, Um, so, you know, I've got a whole bunch of Criterion movies sitting downstairs in the house. And, you know, I'm, I said to my daughter one time, I'm like, this is your legacy. I'm like, I don't have much else to give you, but this is it. So, 
you're gonna have a kick-ass collection of real art house nerd movies <laughs> <laughs> that live on beyond me i'm like take it care of them uh-huh uh-huh i hope that is i hope that uh summer of hours serves you well in 20 30 uh, 20 97 yeah right exactly right and and what's the best you can hope for is your stuff will be exhibited in a museum uh that no one will really pay that much attention, attention to. to yeah yeah but even more so there's the stuff and, you know, robbed and, from their, and robbed from their kind of specific way they benefit life too, right? There's right. those vases there on display. They'll never hold flowers again. Right, right. Yep. As the housekeeper says, you know, I just want something pretty to put the flowers in. Yeah, there's practical side of it. You know, uh, you know, if, if a movie's just on a shelf and never gets watched, is it a movie? You know, is it a DVD? I don't know. Who, I think the other thing, how many people are you going to have players 20 years from now anyway? Yeah. So. Yeah. Who knows? You know, put, putting together a kick-ass DVD collection might not benefit you uh, 50 years from now. And I can tell you, you know, I was just at half price books the other day. There's a metric crap ton of DVDs <laughs> sitting on their shelves that were once loved by somebody. Yeah. 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 Um, I think the other thing with summer hours too, for me is that, there are those spaces that occupy space, literal space in your head and are associated with emotions, that house and everything like that. He wanted to keep it on in the family because he wanted to have those feelings of those summers that they spent there or the time that they spent there. He wanted to see his children and grandchildren experience the same thing. And, you know, we're talking about real estate. We're not talking about, you know, your mm -hmm. 15 issues of Ewoks here. It's a much different thing, much bigger emotions. But in the end, you know, it doesn't work out. You can't hold on to it for whatever reason. And uh, I really, I never, when first time I saw Summer Hours, I thought the ending was kind of a cheat. I think it's, it was kind of like, you know, this girl just gets to throw a party there that after all that, you know, it just ends up being a party house. And I was like, no, she has that moment where she's like, my grandmother brought me here. So she has her memories and those memories live on. But for someone at that age, they sort of can't appreciate those memories in some way. And I think only from, you know, the older you get, the more you understand that, yes, you'll always have your memories and you can't force your children to, they're your memories, they're not theirs. They have their own memories of a place and it means something more to them. And Summer Hours is definitely, uh, uh, I think anyone can get something out of it, but it, it matures with age, definitely matures with age. I think it has to mature with age, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because you're, you just, you, well, of course, when you're young, you have no sense of time really passing in the same way. Right. You definitely have to be like you're immortal. You don't have the accumulated weight of all the years you've lived life, right? Yeah. Um, which to me is why it was appropriate she had a big party with all her friends mm -hmm. um, because yeah. it fit where she was in her life at that time. Exactly. This is exactly. the way they appreciate and show the joy of life together. Yeah. You know, the, the movie starts with the grandmother having the family over. Right. Um, and that gives her a real sense of life and happiness and joy having the grandkids running around. Like it's not, for, not by accident. The first thing we see is, you know, a group of a half dozen grandkids running around the property. Yeah. 
you know, building their memories because that's exactly what she wants. And yeah. then it ends with one of the grandkids having the blowout party because that's what she wants. And that's what, that's how she's able to appreciate the property in her own kind right. of context. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, I want to keep coming back to Sils Maria. I guess I like Sils Maria much <laughs> as any of these movies because um, I mean, that's the whole point of the younger character coming in and, and taking the place of the Juliette Binoche character mm-hmm. in her role is that, um, you know, every generation is going to do things their own way. Right. Um, you know, the, that movie ends with this very kind of clear commentary about you acted in your particular way. You paused in that moment to convey this thing. Right. I'm not going to do that. That doesn't make sense to me. In my interpretation, this is, this is uh, my way of doing it. And um, there's this really interesting kind of generational tension that comes from that. Yeah, and also the sense that the two things are, one is commenting on the other and one is a remake, you know, of whatever, but they're each going to be their own. They have to become their own individual things. Even when, you know, there's a remake of a movie or a reboot, I think now there's the business of movies, which is to keep the shareholders happy and to give people what they expect and what they want from the thing they loved at the beginning. But now, um, it's definitely, you know, it, it, for the artist, that's not what it's about. It's a, it's reinterpreting this work and trying to make it, you know, new. And I think that's what, you know, now as I'm remembering Clouds of Sils Maria a little bit more, that's what, um, you know, the Chloe Moretz characters, rem- it's a remake. She's remaking a movie that Julia Binoche was in, right? That she they're was doing a, a They're doing a next, essentially a next generation take on okay. play that they, they had done before. Okay. Yep. All right. Now, yeah, that jogs. I my literally memory. just watched it last night. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it jogs my memory just fine. I, I saw it a while ago. Um, and yeah, I think that's the other thing that Asayas is interested in is again, looking backwards into sort of that, not nostalgia, but in some ways, looking back at the past and trying to uh, bring it into the present. But with, you know, everything about summer hours is living in the moment, right? That's what's really important about summer hours. And if you get too caught up in the past, you know, you will get nostalgic for all those things that you've lost, that pain of, of, of memory, of nostalgia. And, but you have, still have to keep moving forward and you still have to be okay with that. And, and the mom that, is definitely okay with that. Yeah, she's okay Elaine. with that. I would say that the past is a character in all four of these movies that we've, yeah. been, that we've been talking about. Yeah. I'll exclude Cold Water because Cold Water is just a different movie. Um, but the, the ghosts of the past are living through all of these lead characters. Mm-hmm. Personal shopper, it's the loss of her brother and yep. their relationship. And and uh, Pop's a real ghost. <laughs> Personal yeah. shopper. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Marie, it's memory. Summer hours, the, the death of the uncle. Mm-hmm who may have been her Benosha's lover too, right. um, is really haunting. I think it's pretty cl- clearly implied. And then Irma Vep's are really a, kind of a meditation on the way history kind of repeats itself and how Film you can't- Film history, yep. Yeah, and also how you can't uh, move past your past. Uh, you know, who you, what you've done and who you've been throughout your life becomes a, just a resonance of who you are. Absolutely. Which is- I kind of kind of rambling a little bit, I realized, which is why the Kristen Stewart character is so interesting in both of these movies, because she's 
she's the one character who's most in transition mm-hmm. in in the two films and she's always shown in transition that it's there are scenes in that movie that take place in transit from mm-hmm. point a to point b um, she's either walking or she's riding her cycle thing or she's stuff on, on metro the, yep yep stuff on the train yep mm-hmm. yeah yeah again i i mean that's that's I think it's kind of interesting in, um, again, I go back to this stupid Apple movie, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, <laughs> in which there's a scene that takes place at the end where it's raining. And I turned to my daughter and my wife and I said, "Methinks the rain is symbolic. And when I saw the rain scene again in Irma Vep, I was like, oh, what's the symbolism here, dummy? You know, I'm like, <laughs> what's, what's the rain mean here? Are, are we, is this sad? Like, no, it's just the opposite. It's a baptism. It's a washing away of Mm -hmm. one thing, you know, being washed away and the, you know, the rumbling and the thunder of a new thing taking, taking its place. So, yeah. So I want to bring up one other thing on the, on these four films is that, um, and I, again, I've only seen cold water and cold water is the opposite. Um, these are very, these films all take place very much kind of an upper class, upper crust sort of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the part of it that I found most alienating to me as someone who at least sees himself as being more working class mm-hmm. or at least middle class. Uh, you know, the, the lives these characters live is kind of far away from my life. I can't even imagine the concept of having a personal shopper. <laughs> or being able to like out. or being able to rehearse your play in another country before yeah. you come back to england to actually perform it um i found it to be a little alienating yeah like, i could like, see where what you're... are these characters whining about they've got these good lives less than personal shopper because it's about the working class girl working for the rich woman um but like summer hours like yeah okay you probably feel this with the woody allen films too like your life's pretty damn good guy why are you feeling so much uh, doubt about it yeah yeah i think there's i i think there's a um what do they call that you know uh those those magazines that are you know celebrity magazines you know they're just like us they they have our same problems you know their kids are getting arrested, they're shoplifting, you know, they're, they, they, they have issues with family, they don't get along with their brothers and sisters, they feel that their, you know, siblings are trying to, you know, screw them over somehow or won't agree with them. So I think there's, there's an Us Magazine feel to certainly summer hours, you know, celebrities, they're just like us, you know, they all put their pants on one leg at a time sort of thing. But I also think that it, it's just, for Asayas, I don't ever think he's working from that perspective of trying to, like Woody Allen clearly is about a certain class of New York Jewish intellectuals. One of the things that's fascinating about watching these Woody Allen movies is I, I, now, I now point out all the bookshelves. When you go oh, yeah. into somebody's apartment, they always have bookshelves. They're always stacked. It's kind of like a little clue into the fact that this is someone from a certain walk of life they have a lot of books they're smart they're intellectual they read a lot you know that sort of thing there's scenes of people reading in woody allen movies you know where reading is 
a very important part of the story, even in some cases. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, I don't think Asias is that aware of it. I think for him, it's just more of, he's trying to get this idea, this tell this story about, you know, in the case of personal shopper, you know, what happens to, what is this woman dealing with? I think, you know, he's definitely interested in the character, the Kristen Stewart character and what she's dealing with in Clouds and Julia Pinoche for that matter, um, in Clouds of Sils Maria, what those characters are dealing with rather than their standing in life. There's that scene in Irma that, which I wanted to go back and write everything down where they're talking about them making a political film. Those two guys at the dinner party, they're watching the videotape. And at mm -hmm. some point the camera zooms in or it cuts to them and they see like, it looks like, you know, a student, it looked like, you know, back in college, our editing suite in college where they're cutting this film together. And it's, it, there was something written on the wall about the workers and science and all this other yeah. stuff. And yeah. I thought that that was like a clear indication because that's how ACS came up. He came up as a, he, he made, it was, it was the movies after Personal Shopper, which was about his experience uh, filming a, um, I'll have to look it up to get it, to get it right. But he was making a student films about, um, about, you know, having been, having been part of, uh, not a riot, but uh, 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 a, a workers' revolt or revolution or whatever mm -hmm. ever in France, um, mm -hmm. and it was a big part of his his you know becoming a filmmaker. That's something in the air. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Which I haven't had a chance to watch yet. Yeah, yeah. I guess it was before between Carlos and Clouds. Yeah, twenty twelve. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so again, I think that's a part, I, don't, I, I think he's much more, I think uh, uh, Olivia Asayas is closer to you, Jason, the working class guy, mm -hmm. than he is to the actress or whatever in Personal Shopper, or uh, Clouds of Sils Maria, or the family in uh, Summer Hours, but he is interested in the problems that these people have, not the same problems of royalty, or something like that, but definitely the issues that these people go through. And, you know, I don't have a lot of Corbeaux uh, that I have to divide up at the end, but I do have an estate that will have to be settled. My parents, you know, a home or whatever that'll have to be settled. And, you know, the tax man comes for everyone. So, yeah. I have my George Perez page. It's probably worth a few thousand dollars. <laughs> going up every second baby <laughs> yeah, sadly um yeah I, I think that's a good point though and like the the the, the facts of what these people's lives are makes them also compelling characters right and i and it's interesting I guess, right yeah i mean it's, it's i think that's i think that's the other thing that again when i say it's a movie or it's it's cinema there are images and things that ACS is definitely very interested in that, that estate, you know, the family going through those different rooms. So much of that movie is moving through these rooms and seeing these lived in spaces that these people occupied and what happened there. And it's not just about two people sitting and talking, even though there's plenty of those scenes, they're talking in this space that is filled with, you said earlier, ghosts. I like that a lot 
ghosts and memories and all this stuff that's sort of going around while she's basically telling her son, get rid of all this shit when I'm dead because you and your brother and sister, you can't, you're not going to be able to hold it together. Um, yeah. And they get together and they talk about her and they were like, yeah, she could barely hold it together. She was ranting about this stuff. Yeah. And then they realize, yeah, actually mom was right about all this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mom was not quite ranting. And the poor uh, housekeeper who she's the one that's, you know, I feel worst for in summer hours, you know, well, she just goes to live with her family. Yeah. But she has to then come back to this place that she lived in that she had no, yeah, no stand, no, no, nothing to keep her there. You know, if they had kept the house, she would have stayed on as the caretaker, but the minute the house is sold, she's out too. And she's just wandering, wandering the grounds. No, no big blowout party for her and her friends. No, uh, no music, no nothing. She's just looking in locked doors. I mean, that's the sad part. I think that's why ICS has her have her uh, nephew, I guess, is the taxi yep. driver who takes yep. her up there because, you know, she's she has connections. She's not lost. She has right. the family. And, yep. you know, they obviously love her, although yep. she's also an outsider to them. Right. Right. And that was sad, too, how they give her that vase or she takes that vase and it ends up at the museum because she just can't really keep it. It's not right. It's not right. Well, right she, her. she, he gives her, he gives her, he says, you should take something. Take something. Yeah. And she takes that vase and lo and behold, the, uh, its partner ends up in the museum as this rare vase that so-and-so only did glass work for a small part of their career. Um, but who, where's the vase more, you know, it's that idea of the practical versus the, the, you know, theoretical, you know, and yeah. Yeah. Sort, sort of thing, which is the same idea in Irma Vep, which is the work of doing making a movie as opposed to the ideas that are trying to be projected on screen. Because let's not forget, even though even though it's, you know, this director and he has these ideas and he's this, you know, cerebral intellectual guy, he doesn't even know what he wants and he's not achieving his ideas that he's being set out to do. Mm-hmm. So again, practical, the- theoretical versus practical um, that, in, in both movies. That's even more of an issue in the TV show. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, spoilers for the TV show. So, well, and you said you don't <laughs> care, so. I don't, I'm spoiler inoculated. To, uh, spoiler to great movie. effect, I gotta say, by the way. Yeah, doesn't bother me at all. Just tell and me. seeing the movie gives you a few spoilers for what's gonna happen in the TV show. I'm really curious about what that last episode's gonna look like. Um, I'm going to continue watching Assayas films. Yeah. I'm, I'm very curious to, to see a few more of them. I mean, there's yeah, I would what, about 16 or so. Yeah, I would definitely recommend Carlos. Films. Okay. It's, it's you know, you got to set some time. If you have a weekend and you watch one, one part on a Saturday and the second part on a Sunday, um, it's, it's really good. It's, you know. Oh, 339 I, it, minutes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 end of part one is the ultimate and i think this is the other thing that sas is really good about he's really good about expressing emotions you know you you feel things watching an sas movie the way you're supposed to feel things watching a movie and you cheer and at the end of carlos part one it's just this ultimate like oh my god i've got it's the ultimate it's not a cliffhanger in the sense of a traditional cliffhanger but it definitely gives you that feeling of, oh my God, here we go. I can't okay. wait to see what happens next. Ah. Um, 
which would be a spoiler for my friend Alex, you know, but okay, <laughs> and so the cliffhanger too, that's, that's not too much for me. <laughs> I could take that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I, I, I'm not sure I would have explored his catalog beyond Irma Vep. Um, I'm still stuck by thinking Irma Vep's an outlier versus his other films. It, it definitely, again, there's so much in about style it. and energy yeah. and approach and the illusion, at least, of the quick cuts. Yep. And again, I haven't seen them a lot of his most of his movies, honestly. Yep. But and I think that it's also an original. You know, he wrote it. It's an original screenplay, but it's definitely has a lot of these ideas. I almost said plays with a lot of these ideas, but it plays with a lot of those ideas of the history of cinema, the history of French cinema yeah. and where cinema is at in essentially when he wrote it, the early, you know, mid early to mid nineties, um, which is in a much different place than it is now. And I, I, the other thing I love about it that you forget is when um, he puts that movie in for her that inspired him to cast Maggie Chung in the role of Irma Vep. Um, you know, I say a shot that too. It's not like that, that, that. that oh, right. Yeah. You know, he, he didn't, he didn't, that's not a found piece of, foot. Oh, I mean, it could be, but I assume that he made that up too, the bullet and the knives and the fighting and all that. Oh, I thought I was wondering if it was a John Woo scene. Yeah, exactly. Time. I mean, it's, it's, it perfectly simulates that, but I got to think that Olivier did that himself. Wow. Huh. And then they downgraded it and made it look <laughs> VHS <laughs> and everything well, else I beautiful. That's another reason I, I was making the case of Vep being an, an outlier because he's playing with with techniques and styles too, in a way that like, you know, at, at least Cold Water doesn't have. I haven't seen any of his other earlier films. Mm. Cold Water's a, um, in some ways, a very classic sort of art film. Okay, with classic kind of French film that that to be honest, the critic in Irma would be complaining about. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, he was yeah. literally and, talking about himself as being one of those people in that scene. Yep. Because that was his reputation. Yep. So thanks, Keith. Thank you, as always, Jason. Thanks for revisiting a movie that uh, I really love, and I hope more people get to check out through us spoiling it to hell. I <laughs> <laughs> can't recommend these enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>